I almost started with the old Bud Light. What's up? But I think only two of us would get that reference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have responded appropriately, though. <laughs> oh, God. What? I just couldn't bring myself to do it. It's too painful. This is Remote Ruby. Have you any remote idea to the meaning of the word? What's up? There were yeah. a lot of good commercials in the 90s. You know? Uh, it was like great the, uh, to be alive. Must have been nice. Like all the fruit gusheries commercials and stuff. And when they were first doing CGI in commercials, because it was finally like economical for them to do this pristine time of life. I'm pretty sure that my fruit gusher consumption as a kid may have paid for those CGI commercials. So you're eating fruit gushers right now. <laughs> wow. I have, a, I have a pack in the other room. I just polished off. Uh, <laughs> In my head, I'm scared because I don't want to hook my kids onto them. But really, I'm just trying to keep myself from eating them. That's fair. They are addictive. Don't get the Costco-sized box. You will just end up going through in a week. Don't ask how I know. What about uh, fruit by the foot? Wife doesn't like those. I do. She loves fruit roll-ups, though. Fruit roll-ups. Not fruit by the meter. In Europe, is it fruit by the meter? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. Let's see here. I don't know. Well, uh, I guess we'll find out once it's airs. Leave it in your iTunes review. <laughs> <laughs> or DM Andrew. The fruit roll-ups, I don't know if they're still like this. I've had a fruit roll-up in years. They're so delightfully sweet. But the way they actually wrap it up in that piece of plastic, it's like 50-50 if you're actually going to be able to unroll it. Yes. Like rip it up. That's painful. Do they still do the cutouts where like they have little shapes or like things you can push them out of the fruit roll up i didn't see any but they do have the uh tongue tattoos though that's cool that's worth the investment right what other clutch snacks are there There, of course there was it's not a sweet snack but the little like breadsticks with the cheese dip Uh, i forget the name of those but like dunkaroos yeah dunkaroos those were like the cookies you dip in the like frosting oh Uh uh-huh I'm going to go to the grocery store today and just <laughs> give me every snack from the 90s you have. So now you're talking. How's that? Uh, how's your Ruby life? <laughs> My Ruby life has been not existent. I'm mostly project managing right now. Andrew and I have been working on some GitHub actions. You might have heard about it a little incident with some OAuth tokens. And we GitHub talked about it the last time, the episode before last. We did. And it's kind of broken some stuff like our CI and stuff like that. So we're trying to like, while we're needing to migrate things to GitHub Actions, just making them better. So I brought Andrew on that journey because he's like an OG Actions guru. Anytime you Google anything, it's always Andrew encodes. What we've been working on is basically we have four types of tests that run as separate workflows. We have RSpec, Jest, system tests without JavaScript, and system tests with JavaScript. So we're trying to right now combine them. Combine's not the right word, but essentially we're trying to have a parent workflow that triggers each one, like so they run concurrently. But then we can also use the result of that to trigger a build to Heroku. And Andrew 
has been trying to get it to where he thinks we can also share the setup between all those specs with like one parent workflow. Because right now they all do the same thing. They all check out the repo, install Yarn, install dependencies, install Ruby, set up the database. And if we can share that between them, that will also cut down on our build time. So we are very work in progress still. Well, we're yeah. done in my brain. In my brain, I know exactly what has to happen. <laughs> How long will it take to implement that? <laughs> That's your guess. How fast can you type? Uh, I don't know. We'll never know then. Well, before this podcast ends, I want you to open up one of those typing speed things. I want you to do it because my accuracy yeah. isn't very good. Well, we're gonna one hear. thing I've been working on. Yeah, you we're can just hear in the background. I'll, I'll, I'll keep my mic on. <laughs> Chris actually sent that as a chat message. Yeah, that'll go in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) I like that idea of sharing the stuff. So the stuff that will run after it clones a repo and sets stuff up, that's pretty independent stuff. Yeah, like setting up Yarn, setting up Ruby, things like that. Those can be pulled onto composite actions and shared between them. I don't think I've ever done any of those. Mine are pretty straightforward. Maybe there's a way to to kind of do the same thing. I right now, you know, install X number of rubies and then each one of those has tests against SQLite and MySQL and whatever. And really the only thing that changes is I need to spin up a service for MySQL and Postgres. And then I need to set the database URL environment variable for like the last step that runs the tests. So maybe there's like a way to consolidate that too, which would heavily speed up the tests or whatever for gems noticed and whatever. It'd be kind of cool. I kind of just got it working and left it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I always just like Google, how do I do a GitHub action, copy and paste it and move on. Then your Google search is in the Andrew M codes DM. Yeah. Yeah. How do do we do this? (laughs) No, it has been nice though, because Andrew's done a couple of other things already. If you push to a PR and it's, running a bunch of GitHub actions, and then you push again, it's still running the first build, even though you're already triggered another one. And so Andrew's actually set it up to where the first one will just stop and the next one will just pick up, which will save us build minutes. There was something else he did recently, some wins. I noticed last night we ran out of build minutes, the 2000 free on Jumpstart. And I was like, that's a lot. But then I get poking around and the Mac OS builds cost 10 times the Linux Whoa. minutes. So you can burn through those real fast, real fast. I don't entirely know why they cost 10 times because Windows only costs 2x or whatever. So I was like, well, guess the iOS builds will be much more expensive for actions minutes at least. We too ran out of minutes yesterday. So... Big Thursday for the remote Ruby team. It's one of those where you end up spending so many minutes getting things set up because you got to wait and run all this stuff and then hope it works and then go change it. And you can't ever know ahead of time that you wrote the code correctly and like, or you the you know, config correctly. If you use your own runners. No. Well, to test them locally, you can use something called ACT, A-C-T. That is what GitHub recommends for testing actions locally. Basically what it does is it uses Docker to spin up the virtual environment and run all the crap inside of it. 
Are yeah, those also curious. syntax plugins on VS Code and stuff that will validate the syntax according to the schema yeah. that GitHub has? Good to know. I've never set up my own runner for it, but that would be a fun thing to do sometime and see how that goes. And I'm sure if you're doing heavy, heavy stuff with actions, that probably is more economical, especially if you're doing uh, Mac OS. <laughs> Minor details. I, but I think, what was it? Apple recently announced they're not doing Mac OS server anymore. Like it's just not going to be a thing. Which is yeah. funny because I already thought it was done. I didn't even know it was yeah. a thing. I used to have a license of it back in the day. I tried to do my own web servers like early uh, The hard way. Late 2000s. Yeah. How do I be self-deprecating without being offensive? Let's just say I was very proud to be a Mac user back then. I still am. I know you're your lower back right. tattoo of Steve Jobs. <laughs> you brought up the other day about talking about, I guess, perfectionism and, and writing code and stuff. That is a topic we could spend another couple hours on, I feel like. Perfect topic. I've been thinking about this a lot recently, so we haven't really talked about it on the podcast, but Chris and I have been talking the last couple of months, and I've been working on the last couple of months, job board-related projects, and Chris has a GoRails job board. There's a chance we might try and take that and like build a product where other people can launch job boards or we might launch our own. We don't know. We're experimenting, but I've been coding on that in my free time, five, 10 hours a week, some weeks, one hour. I've been more aware this time of like getting caught up on the details and then asking myself, does this detail matter? Mm -hmm. And to me, everything matters and everything feels important then like i took a step back hey is this me avoiding something else like am i avoiding the fear of like actually shipping this thing am i scared to ship this thing and it not impress other developers am i scared to ship it and not be proud of it am i scared to ship it and it's buggy i don't know or do i just have a deep taste for things to be great i guess i don't know and how's it impacted the last five years of my life you know yeah i often feel similar and and also this feeling of like i look at the problem and i'm like oh you know that is pretty straightforward to build but then when you get into the details and you start thinking about it you're like we could build this feature 50 different ways what's the best way how do we know how do we even decide? And I end up in this, like, I want to do it right. And it shouldn't be that hard. So then I get in this state where I'm just like stuck there. And I'm like, huh, what do we do from here? And just end up kind of like stuck and worried about trying to do it right the first time. And I don't want to come back and like have to fix it and whatever. But that's not ever possible you're always going to have to come back and fix stuff and change it because it will inevitably be different. You know, Jumpstart has a level of expectation that I feel too, where it's like, look, I'm building this for, or any Ruby gems. Like if you're building open source stuff in general or, you know, things other developers are going to use, you should probably feel that same thing where you're like, I want to deliver good work 
and people can rely on this and it's going to be, I'm going to hold myself to a standard and people are going to ideally really appreciate that I put in the effort to kind of perfect it before they use it. And then time goes on and you're like, well, it'll never be perfect. I can't figure out the perfect solution because there's too many edge cases and different use cases for things. And then you're like, okay, what the hell do I do now? And I felt that a lot lately on lots of projects. So when you brought it up, I was like, oh yeah, that's a good topic. For me, I noticed specifically in two areas, front end code. I care a lot about how things look. Like I'm not a designer and I'm not good at designing things, but I feel like I have a pretty decent eye of like, this looks good or this doesn't. And so I spend a lot of time paying attention to like details of like spacing and making sure it works properly and responsively. Like I care almost too much because I want a good user experience. But then also in the back end too, like you were saying, I don't want to have to do it twice, but it goes back to like some things we talked about before. Like if I start implementing design patterns before I actually know what the problem is, the problem they're solving, then I'm just going to make a mess. I think it's interesting that the deeper you get into the career, the more things you see, like building a complex product like Podia and stuff, you start to become aware of all of the edge cases. And at the beginning, when you're learning to code, you're just trying to get it to work. And I feel like you want to learn how to do it right, but you're also more, probably more focused on just like, how do I make it work? Period. And I'll be satisfied. And then over time, you're like, how do I do it in a way that is more reusable and whatever, more cleaner and better, what more well-tested, whatever the case is. And then you like learn all the complexities of building products when you're working. Then you start to worry too much about what if somebody has this weird request? You're right. That could totally happen. But like at some point you have to stop and be like, look, we're just not going to deal with that. We're going to tell those people, sorry, we can't support that. But if you, if you continue trying to want to, you know, handle every edge case, like I have a tendency to do, then like it ends up where you just can't build anything because everything is always going to have edge cases. The minute you set down and write code, you're saying like, this is how we want the world to work for the system. And so you're like immediately laying down rules that are rules. And that is making some things not possible the way you like write it the second you do that. So like, I have a hard time with that where I'm like, oh, if we don't have a perfectly clear goal of the product and what exact features we want to do day one, then I'm going to be like, well, how can we write it so that we could try this and then change it easily if we want to do this other idea that's similar. And that always feels like it takes me down this rabbit hole of unproductivity, trying to perfect something that we haven't even spent enough time saying like, who cares? Like we could go build that first version in a day and then throw it away and rebuild it if we decide that it needs to work a different way. And that would be okay to throw it away. But I would right. feel like I don't want to do that. I don't want to rewrite it. When you're building products by yourself, you can see the different ways it could work. When I'm at work, it's like the more things you learn about that can go wrong, it's like more of a curse because you see all the things that can go wrong and then you want to find the system to where 
You can avoid these things. You could do all of that and somebody will find a way for it to break. It's a tightrope. Like a good example of that is somebody today emailed me to cancel their GoRail subscription because they had signed up with their GitHub account and their GitHub account had used their previous job's email address. So he was going to not have access to that email address. I believe that when you log in with GitHub, we look up your account that it's attached to and don't necessarily like update the email on file to match GitHub, which makes sense because if you want to go sign up with GitHub and then change your email address on your account, we wouldn't want to like override that the next time you logged in. That would be weird. So he had to email me to address that thing. And I was like, I'm not going to fix this bug because it's technically a bug, but yet there isn't a great solution for it. And it's happened once in eight years or, you know, maybe a couple times in eight years and they can write into support and it's fine. And I have an easier time with that and just saying like, okay, it, it is the way it is and that's fine. But in other projects, like our personal you know, job board stuff or open source or whatever, I feel like I hold myself to a different standard sometimes, which is not productive. I'll tell you what didn't help. A couple of years ago, I read this article that was like, my side project is my Zen garden. And I loved that. I loved that. But the problem is I apparently have really high standards for my Zen garden. <laughs> and so I want to do a good job at work, but I don't really struggle with perfectionism. Maybe it's because I have people around me who help me see what's important and what's not. And I, when it comes to building features, we have people thinking about this and kind of handing this down to us. Yeah, that's a good point. When you're building open source or your own project, you don't have someone giving you the requirements who's already thought through all that stuff. And you can go take what they tell you to build and find some like things wrong with it, but you can generally just like get to work and start coding. But when you're the developer, owner, marketer, and support for your own product, then you've got to do all these other jobs that you're probably not comfortable with or used to doing or whatever the case is. It's a very subtle, but a very different job when you're making all the decisions about how the product should work. Cause now you're the product person, you're the CEO, you're whatever. And you aren't just a developer. The product seems like, yeah, you can go build a job board really easily. Technically, yes, if you have all the requirements laid out, but we don't or haven't. You know, it's a subtle line that you cross. And I think that is definitely part of what we've been like noticing. We're like, huh, yeah, maybe we should step back and define here's exactly what we're going to do and find whatever rough edges we need along the way. But really box it in and say, we're only going to do this stuff and that's it. The problem I think for me is, okay, so once we've done that, then I start getting perfectionism on a very technical level because I view this as my Zen garden. I have the opportunity to make the tech choices that I don't necessarily get to make it work. We all pretty much agree on what we do at work, but there are certain libraries maybe I want to use. Like Laravel. Yeah, of course. Well, we just recorded with... Or Elixir. Yeah, now now Phoenix. I'm very, very firm in my beliefs. But I think like I take it to the extreme of I want everything to be perfect uh, in terms of even how the code looks. I want it to be tested. All good goals, but all goals that when you only have one 
two, three, five, ten hours a week that vary, they really can hold you back from actually doing something. That's just on the code and you're going to want the design to look nice and you're going to want the onboarding flow to be good and being able to easily like email them and anytime something happens and have like a quick, easy way to get support. And like, if you start on the technical level being a perfectionist and then apply that to the rest of the things, you'll never get it done. Probably not on five hours a week. You mentioned onboarding and I've never even gotten a project to onboarding. Like, <laughs> you know, I've shipped projects. I had Hope Grid and Field Help and they ran and had people using it, but there was no onboarding. It was just like you sign up, yeah. dumped in it. And that's in real time making me realize because I was focused probably on the wrong things. I still reference that Field Hole code base all the time because I did a lot of things in there. I'm like, I'm really proud of. There is some value in that, but that wasn't my goal with it. My goal with launching Field yeah. Help was it, oh, I can take this and use some of these learnings. Like that is beneficial and it's definitely a fantastic side effect, but I put a lot of time into it so that people would use it. Yeah. And I think that ends up being sort of a, you know, an open source project's a good example. You want to build something creative, solve some problem. So you start an open source project. You write some code and you want people to use it and you start using it. Then other people come in and they're trying to build their own thing that's slightly different than what you're doing and or maybe quite a bit different and your tool still could help. Then at a certain point, you're doing customer support for all of these users of your open source project that you're not making money on or being paid to work on. And then you have to decide where are my boundaries because... This person wants to integrate pay with Square. I don't use Square. I don't mind if someone adds it, but like, I don't want to maintain that. And I need boundaries. Um, And pay has been a good one of that because it's just so many uh, millions of directions to take payments. It's just such a complicated piece. And we can build a good foundation for it. But like Stripe is pretty solid. There's still rough edges there, but like Braintree is not. And Paddle's decent, but it's also totally different. So I probably made the mistake of like allowing the Paddle stuff to get merged in because now I have to maintain this thing that I don't ever use or plan to use. And it doesn't even work remotely the same as these other systems because most of it's all embedded in JavaScript land and, and you listen to a few webhooks, but you can't actually make the same create a customer API request at all. And it's been a good one to like, teach me some of those boundaries on like, how do I make a project like this sustainable and whatever. And it's like, eh, it comes and goes and whatever, but it's at least a, a smaller piece of building a product. Cause I think the product side of things, if you want to go build a SaaS and make money and all of that, you have probably code as a quarter of your time or something that you really need to be doing. Cause you got to be doing marketing and, design and all this other stuff and customer support and whatever. And it's really easy to get caught up because we're developers. That's where we're comfortable. We can go think real deep about how to build a perfect product, but it's really a fraction of the business. And I think it's easy to like let yourself get caught up there. Cause I feel like when I started GoRails, I had this same conversation with myself and I was like, 
I'm burning the bridges. I'm not going to consult because I need to force myself to focus on the stuff that matters. And when I'm not making any money, the only thing I can think about is I got to pay rent and my bank account keeps shrinking. So I'm going to focus on that stuff because I have to now. And I feel like this is also just a common thing with a lot of side projects. You spend all your time and energy working on your day job and then there's no pressure on the side project. We can spend and come to it next week and we can figure out things and it doesn't necessarily put the pressure on the right place because we can easily put pressure on the code needs to be perfect, but not the rest of the business side of things. A thought came to my mind, some kind of introspective thought when you're saying that, which is maybe the reason that I put so much emphasis on it is because that's the part I'm good at. Maybe I'm yeah. scared to do the other work that isn't coding. It is hard to go into an area where you know that you're not good and then compare yourself to like, well, at least if this was programming, I would be done by now. And it would have been great. And I feel like that is something I feel all the time when I'm doing anything like marketing wise and my tendencies to just go write more code and ship more features or something instead of like, spend time on the marketing side of things and writing blog posts and doing stuff for SEO and whatever. I just like make another screencast and write some code and whatever, which kind of kills two birds with one stone. It is marketing for me. Sure. And I got lucky there, right? Fighting my own psychology is hard. And this is a way to like cheat that a little bit. Selling to developers is an easier way for me to build a product than selling to real estate agents. Because I don't know where the hell I'd go hang out with real estate agents and like learn how they work and actually like become friends with them and actually find a really good problem to solve there. I'm not going to go do that because it's not in my interests. Maybe you can develop an interest for it if you like really get into it and find the right people. Then you could chip in and, you know, build a good product there. I just want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Honey Badger. They are not only my favorite error and uptime monitoring service, but they've also added several awesome new features, one of those being the public status pages. So it makes perfect sense that your error and uptime monitoring tool can have a public status page for you to communicate any downtime outages with your customers. So whether US East 1 is down or you forgot to add a configuration file, Honey Badger is there for you to help communicate any downtime or outages with your customers. Plus, they've also added SSL certificate monitoring. So like many of us use these days, Let's Encrypt certificates expire every 90 days. And if for some reason you're a week away from expiring an SSL certificate, they can let you know ahead of time so that you can take care of it without any outages for your customers. Plus, managing the errors and things inside of HoneyBadger has gotten even easier with HoneyBadger Actions which you can use to automatically assign errors to yourself or another team member, add tags to different error classes and more. And they also have batch actions, which you can use on the search results to help manage your backlog of work to do. So Honey Badger is the place to check out for error and uptime monitoring, and it's only getting better. So check them out at honeybadger.io. How do you feel about testing as one example of something like that I think you can easily get to that point of perfectionism. We need 100% code coverage or more. And I feel like that's one good example area of 
a place where you can become a perfectionist. I've been thinking about this specifically with job boardly. I feel like when it comes to work, I'm like, eh, it's worth the extra effort. But like right now, what good is 100% test coverage with a 0% user base? Yeah. And I was thinking about that. And the thing I decided I would do is define some things that matter to me. What I mean by that is like when I've been writing some model tests, I've been not testing functionality that's built into Rails because I'm going to trust the Rails core team or whoever added that feature tested it. I was writing some enum tests and I'm like, you know what? That is expected behavior. Like maybe a spec would help me if I upgraded and they changed some behavior, but also that is not my problem today because if this app never launches, it'll never get upgraded. And those are also things that like, if you have a integration test that does interacts with the enum, you do have coverage over it. You may not have it in the model test, but you would have it in the integration test that like, you know, changes the state of this object and you would have some, and that should probably be plenty of validation for you. Like when you're just starting a product, a funny thing last night, my accountant actually emailed me and sent a screenshot of a, an episode that was in the future on GoRails. And because Colin's on board doing screencasts now, we're ahead and I've been working them to be published in the future. But Maily Search was indexing those. And so they were showing up. So we were like changing some of the backend stuff to make sure that like, it used to be we'd query the database and that was like filtering the published stuff. But then we index it in Maily Search now and these future episodes are popping up. And we found another place last night that had a future episode popping up, you know, like that was one where I was totally comfortable with like, this has never been something I particularly cared about. If it exposed a video ahead of time, whatever, like it's a minor inconvenience. It's not like a 500 error or someone paid and didn't get access or something critical. So I've never been super concerned about it, but now I'm like, well, if we're going in this direction, when I find an error like that, then I'll go write a test for it and feel more confident about it in the future. And I'm not the only person using this anymore. It used to be like just me and I didn't really care. I could easily fix these things. You know, I could do whatever, but as the team grows and the product grows and the users have more expectations of things being more professional and perfect as in they function like they're supposed to, Now I'm willing to put more time into that. And it's also like clear how I want it to function. Whereas in the beginning, maybe I didn't know what the final like feature would look like. And I feel like a lot of times I'll go spike stuff out, ship it to production and then tweak it here and there and then set it in stone and kind of like write test then when I'm like, this is how it's going to function. We're going to lock it in with some tests and trust that it'll work that way because for the longest time i didn't really write a lot of tests i was just like go build features and whatever but over time you start to learn the more customers you have the more you need your tests to make sure that things don't randomly break like uh the maily search change it shouldn't have actually changed anything that customers saw and that was why it was unexpected for us like okay now it's time to write the test for that feature so it doesn't happen in the future whatever changes and i still find value right now in writing controller level specs not like i'm asserting a page looks a certain way it's just that 
given a certain set of data, it will raise an error or redirect or be successful. And I think those are good. Those are ones that like, as you get more experience, you're like, look, I want to make sure the code works. I don't want to just throw some stuff out there and there's random 500 errors all the time. And it's because we didn't actually put a validation for this thing and users started to put in weird data that we didn't even bother to like write a validation for. I used to be more run and gun like that, but now I'm like, I still want it to be reliable. Like whatever I write needs to be reliable, but I don't need such thorough tests that it like prevents me from changing the feature quickly. And there's a fine balance there because certain projects like the Podia, you want those features to be guaranteed that they're going to work for everybody. And you want a much more thorough test suite than you would want on a brand new app or whatever, like the first version of Podia. You're like, we don't even know what it's going to look like. And it wasn't even going to be called Podia. It was Coach back, Coach. back in the day. So, you know, G-Math lots software. Of yeah. I gave a talk on that, a retreat. I gave a talk on the history of Podia, but only like 25% of it was the truth. <laughs> oh, that's good. My favorite talk that Gary Bernhardt's ever done was that an editor talk. And it was basically like, I made an editor and he's showing all these cool features. And at the end, he's like, yeah, none of this is real, but that's what I want. That's what the future should be like. And I was like, oh, that was such a good premise for a talk telling a story that sounds true and everybody's like, whoa, this is cool. Then being like, yep, why don't we have this? Yeah, my story had uh, no redeeming value at the end. That's perfect though. (laughs) I want to back up a little bit because earlier when I was kind of talking about perfection, so I talked about front-end and back-end and I saw Andrew nodding along when I mentioned front-end. And if you're interested in sharing, I'd be interested to know why you were kind of adamant with me on that. Yeah, I've been a little quiet because like, I don't even know how to talk about this without taking it to a very dark place. This is something I struggle with a lot. I've talked about it some in the past, but the reason I resonate with a lot of that because I have an eye for design that I can't necessarily create. So like, I know what looks good and what looks bad, but like, I don't know how to create what I know looks good. And I think a lot of it has to do with planning as an extremely ADHD person. If you read down the symptoms list of ADHD, one of them is poor task management, poor time management. And the other is very, very impulsive and things like that. So except for the past few months, because I finally was just like, I'm just done. I've been working on my website since college in various capacities and I've never ever once been happy with the design and the more and more I experience this the worse and worse it becomes the more and more problems it brings up in other areas of my life a lot of this is due to the fact that I have zero capacity to plan and I have very poor task management the technical stuff is easy for me it's like okay well like this has to happen this has to happen this has to happen cool 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 and like the back end stuff, like I don't usually have those types of perfectionist issues on the back end as much. There's definitely way more areas of just programming this like really like affects me in. But the front end, especially, is just like I don't make any plans. I don't make any mock ups. I don't make, and even if I do, I do like half of it. And then I'm like, okay, this is good. 
And then I oh start like putting shit on the page and it's never, Andrew. I know, dude, it's, I feel you. Yeah, yeah, I do too. It's really hard to have that taste. Everything that Steve Sugar and Adam Wathen put out, I'm like, that is good design. And then I'm like, I don't know how to create that. And I can't get from here to there myself. And it's just so frustrating. I just redid my website two months ago. I think I talked about it. But what I didn't tell you is that I opened up Sketch and I laid out how I wanted it to look. And I got a fourth of the way there of the homepage. I mean, the whole thing. And I was like, I have a pretty good idea. Like, I don't need to do the rest of it. But I didn't. The problem, I think, is that I was either bored or I was uncomfortable because I knew that I couldn't get it any further than what I had without it just looking like the site I already have, which it does look like my last site. I get frustrated with myself that I can't make everything look like Tailwind does, like their branding. And like I use Tailwind UI and I personally get frustrated because this isn't a fault on Tailwind UI that I have the components and I can't put them together. Yep. yep. And absolutely. And that's part of the reason like why I still have this place in my heart for bootstrap because like I know it makes every website look the same if they all use it without tweaking it. But ignoring all the other websites, it gives me consistency in my own. I guess it makes me feel not good because I want a really good end result and I don't know how to get there. I have a lot of problems with that too. The other big thing is like, I'm very driven by dopamine. I have a lack of dopamine in my brain. And so I have this issue where I need instant gratification and not receiving instant gratification literally feels painful. And when you're trying to start designing things, there's no dopamine coming in when you're planning or like, you know, sketching things in sketch or whatever. But when I start putting code on the screen and then I see the result, like there's dopamine. So like anything that doesn't produce any dopamine, it's hard for me to do. And it's almost impossible for me to do like long-term. And especially if I don't have the energy to do it anyway. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That is so exactly how I feel a lot of times. It feels like it, it's even worse when you know that you're, you could write the code and you could do a good job with that. But then when you get to the design, you're like, I don't know how to do a good job here. And then you're like, I just got to move on, do something else and yeah. put it down and, and leave. And I feel like that is easily translatable to uh, you're a good Ruby developer or Rails developer. And then you move and got to go build some stimulus controllers or like understand Turbo and Hotwire. And it just becomes like, oh boy, this is a different area. I can like not fully wrap my head around it and back to the back end we'll figure out some like gem i can slap on and use that instead anytime i go out of my comfort zone a little bit like that when i know that i'm a good rails developer but like i'm not a great javascript developer so then it feels much harder to dig into building something complicated there because i don't get the quick satisfaction of it it's going to take some time and I, I could just build something quick and in Ruby and be like, yeah, that was cool. That was good. But I I won't get that same response from design or front end or whatever. Not quite the same. I won't get that response. And I want it so deeply before I was a developer. I wanted to be a designer 
design is what led me into web design, which is what led me into programming, which is where I realized I'm actually good at something and it's not design. I think I'm realizing, and I will actually, as lame as it sounds, talk to my therapist about all this, but I'm actually realizing that I think my perfectionism in the back end is actually less of perfectionism and more of just a comfort zone of avoiding uncomfortable feelings in the front end. Yeah, my perfectionism is largely procrastination, I find. Especially for me, 99% of the time when I'm being perfectionisty, either I don't have a plan at all and I'm just like shooting from the hip and like obviously it's hard to make things stick when you have no plan, but you're trying to eat, reach an end goal that is very blurry, obviously, because you have no plan. What am I avoiding? Anytime I'm like spinning on something, it's like, why can't I make a decision? That's the, okay. That's the other big thing that I kind of wanted to bring up earlier is that so much of the, my time is spent in my head, which is a scary, dark place. But so much of my time is spent in my head planning things. The plan disappears when I go to sleep and I wake up the next morning. And I'm like, oh, what was I thinking about yesterday? I was really excited about something. Now I forget. I also make so many decisions that I forget and don't document. So one thing I've been really thinking about recently is like right now I've been refactoring my notes and I make decisions, forget them, but then I go back and I start waffling again, trying to make the decision over again because I don't remember what I chose or either I'm unhappy with it. So one thing I've been trying to do recently is basically making decision documents. And it's like, what is the problem I'm trying to solve? Write it down. And then be like, this is the solution I'm choosing for these reasons. And this is what I'm going to use going forward until I come back and change this to be something different. But that forces me to do planning instead of just firing from the hip again. And there's actually a thing called log for brains, like for the number. It's a NPM package. It'll actually like spin up a whole environment for you to create these. It's actually really cool. Was that the uh, thing that had the big vulnerability the other month? No, that was log4j. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, stupid joke. I forget like how my ADHD affects me. And then I get surprised when I end up in the exact same place every single time. It's like poor planning, poor time management, and like this perfectionist thing that's me procrastinating because I can't focus. And it's, you know, all these things. And it's just, it's miserable it's really miserable yeah i feel like that is uh really good to point out too because when you build anything of some complication you made a, a ton of decisions and like for jason and i like if we put it down for a week and then come back next saturday and pick it up we're like forgot a lot of these decisions we made and why we made them and having that information written down somewhere that we can reference would be huge because then we can be like, oh yeah, we decided not to do that for this reason. You might come back and be like, why do we do this? And if you didn't have that anywhere, you're like, okay, time to go reevaluate the whole thing again, make the decision again. And you sometimes will come to a different conclusion. And then that really throws stuff off and that's not good. So I absolutely feel that. Especially with our house, why did we pick these countertops or why did we do like our cabinets have been all kind of weird in certain places. And there's things where I'm like, why did we do this? And it was six months ago and I have no idea. The conversations we had were about whatever back then, but 
never wrote it down and don't know why those cabinets are the way they are. So that is a really good point to, to bring up. I have some thoughts about avoiding discomfort because I've, I've been able to recognize it in my personal life. I use food a lot as a way to avoid discomfort. I use my phone a lot as a way to avoid discomfort, but I've never actually thought about it in terms of like writing code because that seems more black and white to me, but really it is. There are things I do in my like professional habits, I guess, uh, or even my code as a hobby habits that are avoiding discomfort. And that's fascinating. And I'm actually really grateful as weird of a topic as this is that I was able to kind of recognize this in this hour together. Well, just so you know, like the fourth ADHD symptom is avoid tasks that require sustained mental effort. I feel a little bit better after hearing this conversation because it has made me realize, oh, well, I mean, I know that we all struggle with this, but it's like, I feel more comfort knowing that y'all struggle with it in a very similar way that I struggle with it. Because the past, I don't know, two weeks, I've been really hard on myself about this and like really going through it about this topic of like, why can't I just do this? Why can't I do this? Why am I like this? Like, I hate the way I am. Like, this is bringing me more and more misery. And like, if I could just do this stuff, things would be better, but that's never true, right? I keep thinking that I work in like quick bursts, but that's never really true. I work in slow burns, like slow, sustained, gradual effort. I get excited and that's the impulsivity coming out. I get really excited about this idea and I just start hitting it and then it never goes anywhere. And I'm disappointed, defeated, and just like upset by that. And like, I want to change, but it's hard. Yeah, it is hard and it is disappointing feeling. It almost feels like there's no control. I feel that. When you don't feel like you can control yourself, it's the worst because then it, everything is chaos. This is part of why I've been trying to look for hobbies away from the computer. But at the same time, this seems like a fundamental issue that obviously goes beyond just programming for me, right? But I will share one more embarrassing trait of mine related to all this, that oftentimes when I start side projects, I will be unhappy with their direction. And I will look at the grass is greener, like, oh, I'll choose a different part of the stack. And so actually what I need to do is start over. And so I will take weeks of work and start fresh. I've done that so many times. I do that constantly. Oh my God. Now I'm actually triggered. I do that constantly. I cannot ever just like, oh, I could just make this thing better and then keep moving forward. It's like, I have to start over every time. Start over, start over, start over. Back to our earlier example, I've started so many projects with Bootstrap and decided, no, I should have used Tailwind and just start over. Don't reuse any of the code. Yeah. Remove RF folder and then just Rails new again. You should RMRF the the root folder. (laughs) Of Of life. Of all my bad habits. So one time in college, I was sitting in class and had my laptop open and I booted up a full screen VM. And went to the terminal and did that and start deleting every file on the Linux VM that I had. And uh, my friends are sitting like behind me watching my computer slowly destroy itself. Cause like 
all of a sudden like all the fonts disappear and everything is replaced with just boxes instead of like any letters and stuff. And they were like, oh my God, what did you do to your computer? And then I just like minimize the VM and go back to taking notes as if nothing happened. <laughs> uh, anyways, that actually brings me back to the first like real project project I ever wrote was called Carex, And it was like a, a reverse engineered apt get on Linux into, into Python. I rewrote that thing 14 times. No joke. Actually 14 times. When I started, like I didn't know object-oriented programming. And I had the freedom of, I'm learning to code, so it's easy for me to throw it away and start again. But then over time, I put more pressure on myself and like real people use this, so I can't throw it away now. And I'm trying to do a good job and, you know, make this iterable and update things, you know, like I'm supposed to do and improve it iteratively. And I really miss that sort of like, when I write code, for fun. I don't put pressure on myself for all of those things. But then when I'm like, oh, I'm going to make this a side project or side business or something like that. And it has any level of professionalism. I like hold myself to a different standard and I don't allow myself to like throw it away and restart and like learn from my mistakes and just like create it again. Cause I'll be like, oh no, I got to preserve the database and whatever. Like I can't just make a brand new app the way I want it and then figure out how to transfer the data to the new structure, I'll be like, no, first I got to work with that existing database and convert it to what I actually want. But that just has all this baggage that I start with. And it's always terrible. It's so fascinating how much the mind works against you in this stuff. It is our writer's block or whatever too. It's wild. I feel relief. And at the same time, I feel pain that other people experience this because I thought there's just something wrong with me that I just have this weird perfectionist tendency. And so it's nice to talk about it because getting real, I think it's part of the reason I stopped working on Jumpstart with you was like, like, obviously, like I got busy, but like, I think I just got scared yeah, that I couldn't make it perfect. And I wasn't good enough to ship this with you. I'm not right. getting really real here. I totally understand that. And I think for me, the only reason I got a little further with it was that like, I have to go throw stuff out there before it's done. And if I have one person paying me for it, then I like, okay, it's my responsibility now. I have to like make sure this works properly and whatever. And that motivates me enough to force those thoughts out of my head where I'm like, look, it's broken. They said so. And I want them to be happy with it. Unfortunately, this is also what makes running a business very hard, which is this I always measure bugs in pay or jumpstart or go rails or whatever is like a character flaw of myself. So I like take all of those. Like if you cancel your subscription for the longest time for, I mean, still to this day, like if you cancel your go rails subscription, like I feel terrible because I'm like, I let them down. It's not is this, a, like, is this a marketing tactic? Are you are you telling listeners not to cancel? <laughs> I'm going to resubscribe uh, right now. <laughs> <laughs> For real, like I just want to be helpful. That's it. I just want to make stuff that makes people happy and do my best. And I know now that I can't do that because it got me super depressed many, many times over the years of 
working super hard on these screencasts and then like it's education. So people will watch a video and cancel because they watched the neat thing they needed and that's it. That's all they needed. So a subscription doesn't make sense all the time. And so we have high churn, but like most education businesses do, but like I drove myself to the point of depression, looking at metrics for go rails. And now I don't look at anything because I'm like, as long as the revenue is still stable and hopefully growing, I actually don't care because analytics will actually like drive me insane. I can't look at analytics. If Google changes their algorithm and then my traffic dips, then I will like start freaking out and it will be a bad time. It won't help me solve that problem. It won't inspire me to go make better content or anything. I don't work very well from that negative drivers. It's always like my favorite time is the R&D stuff. Here's Hotwire. Go learn it. Go share all this cool stuff with other people. That I have a lot of fun doing and I could do that all day, every day and be super happy. But that's not always the job and building any new stuff is stressful in its own ways. There's weird little things I've figured out that if I can get anybody using this, then I know I have a responsibility to deliver as best as I can. And I probably hold myself to way too high of a standard for that. And it definitely is not good for my own mental health. But yeah, it's weird how the brain works. It really, really is. The core of getting through stuff sometimes is just figuring out how to how to fight your own psychology. It's crazy. Yeah, that was my secret to like getting jumpstart to a point where just anybody else used it. And I had my own personal need to like use some template for Hatchbox and whatever else. And it was kind of like dog fooding it helped me make sure that I worked on it more. But at a certain point, there's enough people relying on it where I'm like, okay, they reported a bug. I got to fix this in the next week just so that they can have their issue handled. And it's like code where it's totally fine to tell them like, hey, I don't have bandwidth to fix it right now for you. Here's the code. Here's probably where the bug is. You can fix it because you have access to all of the code. But I still put it on my shoulders. Yeah, I'll fix it for you instead. Oh, yeah. I mentioned when we, if it made it in, when we recorded with Jose that like I took a, I took a mental health day this week. I was telling Andrew, like it's not because I was like, oh, I see myself stressing out and I need to plan to take that day. It was like, I woke up one day and I was like, I am kind of a mess mentally, but I have stuff I want to get done at work today and Tuesday. So I would just plan Wednesday because I, no, I have nothing scheduled. Then I can actually like relax. And I'm just glad we can openly talk about it because if I couldn't openly talk about some of the things that go on in my head, then wouldn't be a very constructive, healthy life. Yeah. I'm so glad we can openly talk about this. It doesn't feel like we're talking about this in front of a whole bunch of people because it's just the three of us here. But like, I'm glad we do because people need to hear that. There's a reason why burnout is so high in programmers and stuff. It's a, it's a very taxing mental job. It's part creative work and part like not. Some of the stuff is very straightforward. And then other things are like super creative, like trying to solve problems is pretty taxing and then you've got to fight through all this it's a thinking job it's hard but in a different way 
yeah, I get off work and rightfully Shannon has a lot of things she needs to talk to me about. And she's like, did you listen? And I'm like, I really wanted to. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I really wanted to. I did not. I feel a little bit zombie-ish some nights, but that's actually part of the yeah. reason I started taking my ADHD medicine later in the day is so that I can like be there for my kids when I get off work until they go to bed. Cause if I don't, then by the time I get to the end of work, it's not because like Podia works is really hard or anything like that. It's just the nature of our business and not Podia, just being a software developer is, is a taxing job mentally and it's fun and it has a very high dopamine hit sometimes when things are going good. It does. When you fix that bug that's been plaguing you for like six months, yep. those are super high highs, but comes with a lot of lows too. just frustration. And then ending the day on, Oh, we couldn't figure out this like critical bug today. We have to like go home now and <laughs> pretend that it's not a problem still until right. tomorrow. And that's a really hard thing to just like box away. It's really hard when you work from home to before I was on ADHD medicine, it kind of had a negative impact on me because I would be so embedded into a problem that I couldn't get away from it. And so like if I was working on a feature even at like four o'clock and five o'clock rolled around and I was in the middle of it, I wasn't good about being like, you know what? I can leave a note, start here tomorrow. I would work to like six, six thirty. Cause I, I would like justify it with like, oh, well, you know, if I worked in an office, this would be my drive home. So I've got a few extra minutes and then a few extra minutes turns into like, it's almost my kid's bedtime and I'm just out getting off work. Oh, it's been even worse as like a business owner. Cause then Saturday and Sunday or hot wire gets dropped on December 24th. And I'm like, well, here goes Christmas. I got to go like, you know, hang out with family, but I'll be on my laptop, like learning this stuff and playing with it and github yeah to your point i think i often think about when we were working on jumpstart we shared a hotel room and i remember you waking up at like 7 30 on a saturday morning and immediately jumping into hatchbox emails and i was like i'm over here like on twitter avoiding my feelings it's still every single day just First thing in the morning, like I push it off until after breakfast now and stuff. But yeah, it's first thing in, in the day is I got to do support for anybody that asks questions overnight and whatever. But I'll be like still working or like monitoring my phone for questions and stuff till 10 or 11 at night because I don't want to wake up to 20 emails that I got to deal with in the morning because then it throws off my whole day and I prioritize the support because I want to help people and make sure that things are taken care of. But until Colin joined, that was just me for almost eight years or whatever by myself. So if I don't answer those emails, they don't get answered and it just piles up to the point where I can't enjoy vacation because if I take three days off, even the weekend, I'll come back to just so much work that I can't do anything the entire work week sometimes, which is crazy. So Yeah, it is, you know, one thing to, and I do a much better job now. Like I'll kind of casually look at my email over the weekend, but like almost never pick up my laptop if I can avoid it. Or if I do pick it up, it is because I want to just like hack on something fun for myself, not for 
any work related things, but it's one of those things where I can very much understand why, you know, the rails core team wouldn't want to get paid for doing work on rails necessarily. Like I know Xavier and Casper and several of them have talked about like, we just want to do this because it's fun and we don't want to get paid to do it or any of that. Cause like that would become a job and it would be totally different and it wouldn't be as enjoyable. And I, I totally understand that working on code for fun is, can be a, a huge joy. Why well, I'm not going to make my pun book because if it comes to work, I'm going to stop making puns and really shitty jokes. So yeah, you would have to find a, a publisher, a, a publish pun, a pun publisher. Pun, pun, oh, <laughs> I respect it. I respect it so much. That's one that maybe like a couple of minutes on Twitter, typing it out a few times would have really landed hard. Yes. Yeah. That's a Twitter pun, not yeah. a podcast pun. This is a heavy topic, but I feel very glad we talked about all this because these are generally things that people keep to themselves. And I think that's not healthy either. I feel obligated to say that since we talked about some heavy things, that if this is something that someone struggles with, I highly recommend talking to a professional about it and not seeking this podcast as advice. This is just us sharing our own struggles and there are a lot of good resources out there. I feel depression. Uh, this whole conversation, I'm just triggered. <laughs> uh, it's not my intention. No, yeah. no. And I feel better, but it's not just me. Because yeah, I also get caught up in that. I'm the only one who experiences this because no one talks about it. I love that we talk about it. I'm happy. I'll talk about anything heavy with anyone, anytime. As this conversation has progressed, I'm just like, I don't want to be like this, but I don't know how to not. Yeah, that's why I said, like, I really, like, it sounds lame, but I feel like this is the kind of stuff I want to take to my therapist because while this may seem like insignificant to someone else, it's a pretty big part of the weight that I carry because I do want to build things on the side. I want to ship things that people use. One day I would like to make a living off of it, yes, but like, really at the core of it, I just want to use my talent to build something that people find value and joy in, much like Chris was saying earlier about being helpful. And so I feel like I'm not being my true self because that is my creative outlet. Yeah, that's good stuff. So, Well, I think this one, <laughs> unless we change the schedule, this one will drop as people on the way to RailsConf. So that's depressing. Unhappy <laughs> vibes. <from. laughs> oh. It's an interesting thing to mention as well, though. Like if I go to a conference like RailsConf, a lot of this stuff fades away for quite a few weeks afterwards. Yeah. And I like, it helps me recenter on the stuff that matters. Whereas I can get in my own head if I'm doing this for too long without the community around it. I'm just in my basement programming and stuff. It has been tremendously helpful to go to conferences and hang out and have these conversations and just like be part of the community. It makes such a difference for me. And it's just been a hard last couple of years because of certain pandemic happening, but it really makes a difference. So maybe that will be helpful too. If you're ever down, just go riding Andrew's Mustang. <laughs> it's all good vibes. That's true. Maybe that's all I'll do this afternoon. Andrew uses the air freshener that I used in my Camaro in high school. 
he didn't even know what it was. I could tell him what the name was, the flavor, the can it's in, everything. <laughs> Maybe it's not Ryan your Mustang that is so good. Maybe it's just nostalgia for me. The nostalgia. <laughs> going fast and smelling good things. I want to go fast. I want to go uh, fast. Well, I hope that the name of this episode is going fast and smelling good things. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to roll into my weekend with only like the chillest, happiest vibes. <laughs> All right. Watching a big basketball game tonight. By the time this airs, mm-hmm. I would either be filled with joy or filled with regret. <laughs> Even more so. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. Bye.